Chapter Four of Marguerite de Valois by Alexander Dumas. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by John Van Stan, Savannah, Georgia. Chapter Four, the evening of the twenty-fourth of August, fifteen seventy-two. Our readers have not forgotten that in the previous chapter we mentioned a gentleman named De La Mole, whom Henry of Navarre was anxiously expecting. This young gentleman, as the admiral had announced, entered Paris by the gate of Saint Marcel the evening of the 24th of August, 1572, and bestowing a contemptuous glance on the numerous hostelries that displayed their picturesque signs on either side of him, he spurred his steaming horse on into the heart of the city, and after having crossed the Place Maubert, Le Petit Pont, the Pont Notre Dame, and skirted the quays, he stopped at the end of the Rue de Brissac, which we have since corrupted into the Rue de la Brissac, and for the greater convenience of our readers we will call it by its modern name. The name pleased him, no doubt, for he entered the street, and finding on his left a large sheet-iron plate swinging, creaking on its hinges with an accompaniment of little bells, he stopped and read the words, La Belle Etoile, written on a scroll beneath the sign, which was a most attractive one for a famished traveller, as it represented a fowl roasting in the midst of a black sky, while a man in a red cloak held out his hands and his purse towards this new-fangled constellation. Here, said the gentleman to himself, is an inn that promises well, and the landlord must be a most ingenious fellow. I have always heard that the Rue de la Brassec was near the Louvre, and provided that the interior answers to the exterior, I shall be admirably lodged. While the newcomer was thus indulging in this monologue, another horseman who had entered the street at the other end, that is to say, by the Rue Saint-Honoré, stopped also to admire the sign of La Belle Etoile. The gentleman whom we already know, at least by name, rode a white steed of Spanish lineage, and wore a black doublet ornamented with jet. His cloak was of dark violet velvet, his boots were of black leather, and he had a sword and poniard with hilts of chased steel. Now if we pass from his costume to his features, we shall conclude that he was twenty-four or twenty-five years of age, his complexion was dark, his eyes were blue, he had a delicate moustache and brilliant teeth which seemed to light up his whole face when his exquisitely mottled lips parted in a sweet and melancholy smile. The contrast between him and the second traveller was very striking. Beneath his cocked hat escaped a profusion of frizzled hair, red rather than brown. Beneath this mop of hair sparkled a pair of grey eyes which at the slightest opposition grew so fierce that they seemed black. A fair complexion, thin lips, a tawny moustache and admirable teeth completed the description of his face. Taken all in all, with his white skin, lofty stature, and broad shoulders, he was indeed a beau cavalier in the ordinary acceptation of the term, and during the last hour which he had employed in staring up at all the windows under the pretext of looking for signs, he had attracted the general attention of women, while the men, though they may have felt inclined to laugh at his scanty cloak, his tight-fitting small clothes, and his old-fashioned boots, checked their rising mirth with a most cordial vous god after they had more attentively studied his face which every moment assumed a dozen different expressions but never that good-natured one characteristic of a bewildered provincial he it was who first addressed the other gentleman who as i have said was gazing at the hostelry of la belle etoile by heaven monsieur said he with that horrible mountain accent which would instantly distinguish a native of piedmont among a hundred strangers we are close to the Louvre, are we not? At all events, I think your choice is the same as mine, and I am highly flattered by it. Monsieur, replied the other, with a Provençal accent which rivaled that of his companion, I believe this inn is near the Louvre, 
However, I am still deliberating whether or not I shall have the honor of sharing your opinion. I am in a quandary. You have not yet decided, sir. Nevertheless, the house is attractive. But perhaps, after all, I have been won over to it by your presence. Yet you will grant that it is a pretty painting. Very. And it is for that very reason I mistrust it. Paris, I am told, is full of sharpers, and you may be just as well tricked by a sign as by anything else. By heaven, replied the Piedmontese, I don't care a fig for their tricks, and if the host does not serve me a chicken as well roasted as the one on his sign, I will put him on the spit, nor will I let him off till I have done him to a turn. Come, let us go in. You have decided me, said the Provençal, laughing. Precede me, I beg. Oh, sir, on my soul, I could not think of it, for I am only your most obedient servant, the Comte Annibal de Coquenard. And I, monsieur, but the Comte Joseph Hyacinthe Boniface de la Roque de la Mole, equally at your service. Since that is the case, let us go in together, arm in arm. The result of this conciliatory proposition was that the two young men got off their horses, threw their bridles to the ostler, linked arms, adjusted their swords, and approached the door of the inn, where the landlord was standing. But contrary to the custom of men of his profession, the worthy proprietor seemed not to notice them. So busy was he talking with a tall, sallow man wrapped in a drab-colored cloak like an owl buried in his feathers. The two gentlemen were so near the landlord and his friend in the drab-colored cloak that Coquenard, indignant that he and his companion should be treated with such lack of consideration, touched the landlord's sleeve. He appeared suddenly to perceive them and dismissed his friend with an au revoir, come soon and let me know the hour appointed. "'Well, Monsieur Le Droll,' said Coquenard, do you not see we have business with you? I beg your pardon, gentlemen, said the host. I did not see you. Eh, by heaven, then you ought to have seen us, and now that you do see us, say, Monsieur le Comte, and not merely Monsieur, if you please. La Mole stood by, leaving Coquenard, who seemed to have undertaken the affair to speak, but by the scowling on his face it was evident that he was ready to come to his assistance when the moment of action should present itself. "'Well, what is your pleasure, Monsieur le Comte?' asked the landlord in a quiet tone. "'Ah, that's better, is it not?' said Coquenard, turning to La Mole, who nodded affirmatively. "'Monsieur le Comte and myself, attracted by the sign of your establishment, wish to sup and sleep here to-night.' "'Gentlemen,' said the host, "'I am very sorry, but I have only one chamber, and I am afraid that would not suit you.' "'So much the better,' said La Mole. "'We will go and lodge somewhere else.' By no means, said Coquenard, I shall stay here, my horse is tired. I will have the room, since you will not. Ah, that is quite different, replied the host, with the same cool tone of impertinence. If there is only one of you, I cannot lodge you at all, then. By heaven, cried Coquenard, here's a witty animal. Just now you could not lodge us because we were two, and now you have not room for one, you will not lodge us at all, then. Since you take this high tone, gentlemen, I will answer you frankly. Answer then, only answer quickly. Well then, I should prefer not to have the honor of lodging you at all. For what reason? asked Coquenard, growing white with rage. Because you have no servants, and for one master's room full, I should have two servants' room empty, so that if I let you have the master's room, I run the risk of not letting the others. Monsieur de la Mole, said Coquenard, do you not think we ought to massacre this fellow? decidedly said la mole preparing himself together with coquenard to lay his whip over the landlord's back 
but the landlord contented himself with retreating a step or two, despite this twofold demonstration, which was not particularly reassuring, considering that the two gentlemen appeared so full of determination. "'It is easy to see,' said he in a tone of raillery, "'that these gentlemen are just from the provinces. At Paris it is no longer the fashion to massacre innkeepers who refuse to let them rooms. Only great men are massacred nowadays, and not the common people.' and if you make any disturbance, I will call my neighbors, and you shall be beaten yourselves, and that would be an indignity for two such gentlemen. Why, he is laughing at us, cried Coquenard in a rage. Gregoire, my arquebus, said the host, with the same voice with which he would have said, give these gentlemen a chair. Tripidel papa, cried Coquenard, drawing his sword, warm up, Monsieur de la Mole. No, no, for while we warm up, our supper will get cold. "'What, you think?' cried Coquenard. "'That Monsieur de la Belle Etoile is right. "'Only he does not know how to treat his guests, "'especially when they are gentlemen, "'for instead of brutally saying, "'Gentlemen, I do not want you, "'it would have been better if he had said, "'Enter, gentlemen, at the same time, "'reserving to himself the right to charge in his bill, "'master's room, so much, "'servant's room, so much.' "'With these words, La Mole gently pushed by the landlord, "'who was just on the point of taking his arquebus, and entered with Coquenard. Well, said Coquenard, I am sorry to sheathe my sword before I have ascertained that it is as sharp as that rascal's larding needle. Patience, my dear friend, patience, said La Mole. All the inns in Paris are full of gentlemen come to attend the King of Navarre's marriage or attracted by the approaching war with Flanders. We should not find another lodging besides. Perhaps it is the custom at Paris to receive strangers in this manner. "'By heaven, how patient you are, Monsieur de la Mole!' muttered Coquenard, curling his red moustache with rage and hurling the lightning of his eyes on the landlord. "'But let the scoundrel take care, for if his cooking be bad, if his bed be hard, his wine less than three years in bottle, and his waiter be not as pliant as a reed—' "'There, there, my dear gentlemen,' said the landlord, wetting his knife on a strap. "'You may make yourself easy. You are in the land of Cocagne.' Then, in a low tone, he added, "'These are some Huguenots. Traitors have grown so insolent since the marriage of their Béarnais with Mademoiselle Margot.' Then, with a smile that would have made his guests shudder had they seen it, "'How strange it would be if I were just to have two Huguenots come to my house when—' "'Now then,' interrupted Coquenard, pointedly, "'are we going to have any supper?' "'Yes, as soon as you please, monsieur,' returned the landlord, softened, no doubt, by the last reflection. "'Well, then, the sooner the better,' said Coquenard, and turning to La Mole. "'Pray, monsieur le comte, while they are putting our room in order, tell me, do you think Paris seems a gay city?' "'Faith, no,' said La Mole. "'All the faces I have seen looked scared or forbidding. Perhaps the Parisians also are afraid of the storm. See how very black the sky is, and the air feels heavy.' Tell me, Count, are you not bound for the Louvre? Yes, and you also, Monsieur de Coquenard? Well, let us go together. It is rather late to go out, is it not? said La Mole. Early or late, I must go. My orders are peremptory. Come instantly to Paris and report to the Duc de Guise without delay. At the Duc de Guise's name, the landlord drew nearer. I think the rascal is listening to us, said Coquenard who, as a true son of Piedmont, was very truculent, and could not forgive the proprietor of La Belle Etoile his rude reception of them. "'I am listening, gentlemen,' replied he, taking off his cap. 
but it is to serve you i heard the great duke's name mentioned and i came immediately what can i do for you gentlemen aha that name is magical since it renders you so polite tell me maitre what's your name maitre la herriere replied the host bowing well maitre la herriere do you think my arm is lighter than the duc de guise's who makes you so civil no monsieur le comte but it is not so long replied la herriere besides he added i must tell you that the great henry is the idol of us parisians which henry asked la mole seems to me there is only one replied the landlord you are mistaken there is another whom i desire you do not speak ill of and that is henry of nevada and then there is henry de conde who has his share of merit i do not know them said the landlord but i do and as i am on my way to the king of nevada i desire you not to speak slightingly of him before me the landlord replied by merely touching his cap and continued to lavish his assiduities on coquenard so monsieur is going to see the great duc de guise monsieur is a very fortunate gentleman he has come no doubt for what asked coquenard for the festivity replied the host with a singular smile you should say for the festivities replied coquenard for paris i hear runs riot with festivals at least there is nothing talked about but balls festivals and orgies does not every one find plenty of amusement a moderate amount but they will have more soon i hope but the marriage of his majesty the king of navarre has brought a great many people to paris has it not said la mole a great many huguenots yes replied la herriere but suddenly changing his tone pardon me gentlemen said he perhaps you are of that religion i cried coquenard i am as good a catholic as the pope himself la herriere looked at la mole but la mole did not or would not comprehend him if you do not know the king of navarre maitre la herriere said la mole perhaps you know the admiral i have heard he has some influence at court and as i have letters for him perhaps you will tell me where he lives if his name does not take the skin off your lips he did live in the rue de bethesie down here at the right replied the landlord with an inward satisfaction he couldn't conceal he did live exclaimed la mole has he changed his residence yes from this world perhaps what do you mean cried both the gentlemen together the admiral removed from this world what monsieur de coquenard pursued the landlord with a shrewd smile are you a friend of the duc de guise and do not know that know what that the day before yesterday as the admiral was passing along the place saint germain lasera before the house of the canon pierre pillet he was fired at and killed said la mole no he had his arm broken and two fingers taken off but it is hoped the balls were poisoned how wretch cried la mole hoped uh, believed i mean said the landlord winking at coquenard do not take a word so seriously it was a slip of the tongue and maitre la herriere turning his back on la mole poked out his tongue at coquenard in the most insulting way accompanying this action with a meaning wink really said coquenard joyfully really said la mole with sorrowful stupefaction it is just as i have the honor of telling you gentlemen said the landlord in that case said la mole i must go instantly to the louvre shall i find the king of navarre there most likely since he lives there 
"'And I,' said Coconnas, "'must also go to the Louvre. "'Shall I find the Duc de Guise there?' "'Most likely, for only a moment ago, "'I saw him pass with two hundred gentlemen.' "'Come, then, Monsieur de Coconnas,' said La Mole. "'I will follow you, sir,' replied Coconnas. "'But your supper, gentlemen,' cried La Hurriere. "'Ah!' said La Mole. "'I shall most likely sup with the King of Navarre.' "'And I,' said Coconnas, "'with the Duc de Guise.' And I, said the landlord, after having watched the two gentlemen on their way to the Louvre, I will go and burnish my salet, put a match to my arquebus, and sharpen my partisan, for no one knows what may happen. End of chapter 4 Recording by John Van Stan, Savannah, Georgia